Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors, and welcome to episode 35 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast. We believe there's always something more to learn, and who better to learn from than the people who are experts in the game. For those of you with at least one property under your belt, you'll understand how nerve-wracking the negotiating process can be, especially when you've got your heart set on a certain property. My guest today knows only too well how important it is to get the negotiation right. Scott Agate has helped a myriad of clients negotiate their property purchases or select the best sales agent for the job. As Managing Director of Hello House, Scott is passionate about getting the best results from his clients, even if that sometimes means walking away from the property in question. With an impressive portfolio in his own right, Scott knows all the tips and tricks to make sure he's getting the best value out of every transaction. He's joining me today to share some of his hard-earned secrets and arguably the most important aspect of the property journey. Welcome to the show, Scott. Scott Agate, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Hey Mike, how are you? I'm very well. I have to say I've been a fan of your work for a long time and we've obviously connected in the last little while, but it's one of those people that's long overdue having this conversation, certainly on the show, so very glad to have you. Thank you. That's very welcoming. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) The focus of this really today is your special skill and that's negotiation and you do that in a few different sort of guises. You'll actually help buyers and sellers, which is a little bit sort of unusual for people to be working both sides there, obviously not on the same transaction, um, and bidding an auction and those sorts of things. Can you tell us why you think your special skill that you've developed with a you know a distinguished career in real estate gives you like such an advantage over the average punter that's trying to do a deal on a property? I think it's repetition, Mike. It's been in that hot seat as an agent for 25 years. It's running sales teams and being over the top of their transactions and uh, looking at the pitfalls of some of those deals and the different strategies that were applied. It's the experience of sitting in as a vendor. I've probably sold 25 of my own properties. As a buyer, I've been through that emotional roller coaster 29 times I've bought. Wow. Um, so I think it's just experience. It's repetition. It's probably over 3,000 property deals, in, including my clients. I think what comes of that is you realize when I'm in a negotiation, certainly from an agent's perspective, what tactics work or what lines work against the buyer Mm. and vice versa, what worked from a buyer that got them the deal across the line. So I guess it's a percentage game that I've ruled out a different strategy in different circumstances and, and I've been able to streamline that to get the best results as often as possible for my clients. I've got to say, like, even the experience in doing your own stuff is amazing. I think I've only actually ever sold one property. And you said how many of your own? <laughs> well, I you'll be disgusted with my behavior because I'm serial property flipping pest. Right. So I, you know, if you're talking to long-term investors, then I'm not your guy in terms of... Um, <laughs> you're breaking the, up. We're going to have to let you go. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The whole strategy, but um, definitely I can help those people buy the right properties and hold them. But yeah, I get bored, Mike, is the honest truth. I just want to get in and get out and flip and make money. And I really enjoy that kind of contact sport, you know, if you will, with negotiation. I thrive on that and, mm. and doing deals. And it doesn't make any difference to me if it's at 200 grand or 2 million bucks. It's the same thrill that I get out of it, which is why I build a negotiation agency so I can get cheap thrills all day well that's you know they say if you if you do something you love you'll never work a day in your life so it sounds like you're absolutely living the dream 
lifestyle by design, I think the term is. <laughs> now, I suppose your expertise moves a few different ways depending on what the market's doing right now. So so right now it's a seller's market, right? So I'd love to talk about, you know, a seller's versus a buyer's market and then break it down into the different sides of the transaction. So if you're representing sellers right now, I mean, how much expertise do you need when property prices are going crazy in most places? Yeah, well, look, any agent can sell a property basically in this market, although I will preface face that with something that you'll well and truly know, which is there's micro markets right across the country. There's 16,555 suburbs. Yes. And, you know, what's happening in Surrey Hills compared to what's happening in Paddington in the same time can be vastly different as I knew when I was an agent. So you can't be across all those things. So, you know, it definitely depends where you're selling and what type of asset, what price range it sits in to determine how deep that buy pool may be. But the value add at the moment on the selling side is trying to find the leading agents locally that sell that type of asset and who's going to be able to sell your property for a premium. Because as we just said, anyone can probably sell a property in this marketplace. It's who's got the skills to communicate clearly to the market and convey the market to you as a seller to put you in a position to sell and also extract an emotional premium out of those purchases. And the the way that I do that is to heavily research the three leading agents in a marketplace. Mm -hmm. Then I'll openly have them compete against each other for the business. And what happens there is if Mike, typically if you walk down the high street and ask for their best price, you'd get X from them in terms of a sales commission. Typically when I do it and run that process and explain what I'm doing, I get a substantial discount already when they come in the door because they just want to control market share. And then once we've identified the right fit for you out of those three leading agents is going to be the fit for your personality type and the right fit for that asset. Then I'll go back and negotiate with that agent to see if I can get the fee structure down even lower to save money for my clients. So then I'm on board for the, the journey. I don't, you know, the beauty of picking the right agent is they don't need me to hold their hand, but I'm there for my clients if they have any questions between going to market and then eventually selling. So I run that whole process for free for my clients and that's been exceptionally um, well received. Yeah, wow, I can imagine. And I guess you raise a really good point, right? There's emotional premiums in a lot of transactions right now, right? But emotional premiums aren't all created equal, right? But one emotional premium could be an extra 50K, another one could be an extra 200K and your job is to extract as much as possible. And of course, if you can negotiate the rate down as well, all the better. Yeah, sure. Yep, and it, it just it vastly depends what you're dealing with. And as I said, the buyer depth in any marketplace. We're seeing this at the moment. You know, I'd say one in three calls for me nationally is someone in a sealed bids, best and final office situation mm-hmm. in southeast Queensland, and that's where people are paying. You know, they're, they're bidding in the dark. They don't understand the comparables. They're not experienced at negotiation. And, you know, the agents are just laughing all the way to the bank. Mm. So it's a good place to be selling at the moment. Absolutely. The difference is if you're getting 20 or 50 offers on day one, you know, do you have an agent that's just going to sell it on day one because they know they're going to get a good result for your client? Or have you got an agent that's confident enough to say, actually, let's drag this out for three or four weeks. Let's get them all emotionally involved. Let's put them in an emotional, you know, bidding contest whether that's auction or a sealed bid scenario and let's extract even more money out of it so you just got to make sure you're on the right horse as much as i do want to run on to the other sides of the equations if we do like a little bit of a thought experiment here this is something that i always kind of wondered that uh, about agents that leads into your question if we're looking at say someone that's going rate of say two percent to sell a property and we're talking about a two million dollar asset i'm typing in things here on my spreadsheet here it, so so 
this this agent potentially could be you know getting offers for two million dollars and they're getting four grand. That doesn't sound like enough. I've got forty the wrong grand. Digit grand. There we go, forty grand. Now, if they sold that for let's say another, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars, the difference is two thousand dollars. Now, would yeah. they want to risk the deal? Or drag on, you know, for another three weeks when they could bank that and move on to the next thing. I've always sort of thought that the incentives for agents to push above when they really are on a sale that they could get across the line is not there. Now, that's not to say that the ethics don't point to the right thing to do, but but people are driven by incentives, right? Like, I guess that's a part of where you can really apply some of your wizardry. Yeah, so typically I ask the agents to come in with a sliding scale performance fee rather than a flat fee. So that can negate much of that risk in terms of them selling it fast or them underselling it for you. Mm. So we like to have that so they're back-ended, you know, to overachieve and and get the right result for the client. But I think the biggest thing, you said ethics, and I think that's um, very much pointing in the right direction. But when you're talking about the leading agents in the area and the leading agents in their industry, they're career agents, right? They've been doing this for a long time. Having been in that seat myself, you very much live and die by your results. And those people are very conscious and proud of their results, those agents that want to be in it long term. So good agents, I I wasn't really ever motivated by whether or not I could earn an extra $1,000 on a bonus. I was always just interested in I want to win the negotiation and get the absolute best price I can because that's going to feed into my next listing. Mm. I think a lot of the agents, the good agents think like that. They're not just volume agents that are just worried about getting the deal done. They're worried about getting the best possible outcome they can for the client. But there's a fine balance, right? Like you say, you know, an extra 10 grand or an extra 20 grand, a good agent will also know that if I push for an extra 10 or 20 grand here, I may annoy the buyer, risk losing the sale, whatever that yeah. might be, Yeah, you know, drop in reason X. And, you know, that's reason why they're going to guide you to say, listen, 2 million on the nose is a very fair offer all around. Any further than that, you risk them losing a bit of heat or momentum on the deal and they may go look elsewhere. So you just got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, I guess. Yeah. And I guess, you know, repetition is, is key with that, right? Like you think about your average person, let's say that they're buying an investment property for the first time and they're, they're dealing with people, experts such as yourself or, or the real estate agent that's acting for the vendor. You know, this could be their thousandth rodeo, right? <laughs> Rather than your yes. first. Well, so I think you've got to realise that it is their thousand, you know, it's their 10,000 because each time you turn up to an open for inspection and to make an offer on a property, they're most likely negotiating with 10 people plus the vendor in that one campaign. So mm. they're 10xing you every property. Yeah. Um, and that's what you've got to realise. They've just got so much experience in scripts and dialogues. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. That puts it in perspective. Now, with a market such as it is, seller's market, really most places, right? We're always told there's markets within markets, you know, there's 16,000 suburbs. But right now, it kind of feels like it's just one big market pushing forward for the first time (laughs) I can really remember. Now, representing people that are buying a property 
right now. You mentioned a couple of things, you know, where we've got some of those silent auctions. It's like, you know, how big are you prepared to go stuff it in an envelope and winner takes all sort of thing. You are potentially competing against people who are not really doing the research on comparables and they just want the property. And I suppose you've got to really guide people to say, look, if it goes for this, you've got to be prepared to walk away because you could actually be sitting on negative equity. You know, if we do have some APRA intervention or macro prudential stuff or an interest rates rise a little bit. What's your conversation like with buyers at the moment? I will do a couple of things. One of the most important things is I play a bit of a game with them to really understand what their fear of loss is up to a certain point. So I'll say to you, Mike, um, they're offering the property at offers over 649. It's a sealed bids or however it's going to be sold. And they might say, okay, well, you know, I'll go to 680. And I'll say, okay, well, what if I told you 680 is not going to buy it, but 690 and you can have it today? Would you buy it? Yeah, I'd buy it for 690. Great. Okay. Well, 690 is not going to work. So the agent's telling me that 700 is going to be the number. Will you pay 700? Oh, I don't know. I really didn't want to go to seven, but yeah, okay, we'd go to seven if it meant getting it done today. Great. Seven's your target price. You know what I mean? And you get to a point where you realize there's a drop dead price where you say beyond that, it doesn't represent value to me. So you've got to be hard with the buyer or the buyer's got to be hard with themselves to realize what that number is because you just cannot get carried away and pay an emotional premium if you really understand the numbers. And then I'll fact check that with saying, well, that's all good that you want to go to 700, but the comps for me, the comparable sales are at 740, 760, 770 or the other way around 640 you know 620 so you're either way out of your depth here and overpaying or you're just not even going to compete on the basis of where the comparable sales are so forget the agent's guide price it's not worth the toilet paper it's written on is my typical saying and go back to market value and buyer depth and once you know those two things you're watching real-time prices being paid at auctions and the latest properties that are selling in the marketplace understanding what they're selling for and seeing how many buyers are competing for it, then you'll know how hard you're going to have to go at it to make the offer and also how hard it's going to be to replicate that asset. If it's you know going to take you 12 weeks or 16 weeks to find another similar home that you like, then overpaying 10 or 20,000 in a rising market is not the end of the world. So you just got to weigh up those things and I'll look at it from a couple of different angles like that. Yeah, I mean, those are some very powerful sort of thought experiments and interesting in your example which I assume is is just an example it sort of touched on what I could imagine is sort of like a psychological point where it's like I really didn't want to go to seven like seven's just an arbitrary number that you know sort of humanity is has observed through the universe right but psychologically <laughs> it can be sort of like you know the difference between say 690 and 700 is way more than say 680 and 690 right yes yeah it's definitely those big ticket numbers that just roll over with the zeros at the end, always the ones that trigger a sale with a vendor in their mind. You put yourself in your shoes as a seller and it's offers over 650. You're not looking for 680, 690. You really want to hit that 700 or whatever mm. it might be. That's just the magical number you've got in your mind. It just ends up buying out like that. And again, it's repetition having sold so many properties for clients. I just have them stuck on these round numbers. So the other way that I think about these things as well as when you're in competition is instead of just going to 700, which might lock it up, I'll tell them to go to 701, you know, or something just above that. Because if the agent's then talking to other buyers, the conversation the agent has is, listen, we've got an unconditional contract offer that's acceptable to our client. If you want to be in the race here, you've got to be over seven. Mm. That's a very different conversation than saying around seven or even, you know, 
up high sixes or whatever. So it just blows people out of the water and it only has to be a thousand dollars, but sometimes that just has other buyers thinking, Oh God, it's already at seven ten, seven fifteen. Yeah. I don't want to play this game. I'm out. And then you end up securing the property. It's oh, interesting, isn't it? I can remember people saying Sydney's house price will never go over a median because psychologically it's just a bridge too far. Now, what are we, 1.6 or thereabouts? The ship <laughs> yeah. has sailed. Now, let's slip it around if you wouldn't mind. I mean, maybe one day in, say, two or three years' time, it might be a buyer's market. I mean, we're expecting listings to come on <laughs> soon, but it feels like it might be a little way away. But when you're representing a seller and it is a buyer's market and they're wanting to get the best price and there is a little bit of stock on there, what's that conversation? Like. I think it's understanding the reverse of it from what I would have said to you just then on the buy side. Like, how many buyers are in the marketplace? What's the average days on market? How do you position this properly to get it sold in terms of how do you price it effectively mm. to make it attractive to as many buyers as possible? What's the right method of sale for the marketplace and the asset type that you're selling? So, are the buyers tuned into auctions and expecting to see an auction, or would people have more confidence bidding private treaty, for example? So, understanding the market, the asset, and um, what buyers are conditioned to, and then really drilling into the sales to say, okay, look, you know, the data points to the fact that this is probably going to sell somewhere around that 660, 680 based on these last three sales. Um, it's our job, obviously, to extract more money out of it as best we can. And these are the reasons that we're, we're going to go about it. And that might be, you know, better reach on social media that you pay for and you have to just think about how these how you're going to tap into your buyer and who is your buyer who's the target audience yeah and when you're talking about buyers being in a buyer's market firstly how many years do you think it'll be before we start having those conversations for real and when you feel like you're you're swanning up and down the the street looking at these open homes and you've got all this power like you know how do you sort of rein the buyers back in Oh, do you mean how long is it going to be before the buyers are in control again? Yeah. That's crystal ball stuff really, isn't it? That <laughs> I, I don't like to kind of guess at. I know I quizzed you on this a few months ago in terms of what the market Yeah, it's actually your when... turn. You're, you, put me, you put me right in <laughs> well, the spotlight. I'm not the data dork, so um, I don't get involved <laughs> in these things too much. I just let everyone else take one for the team. But look, I don't know. I think, I mean, you can sense in some pockets of Australia at the moment there's a shift in the power. Whether that equates to it's just a blip and, and here it comes again and there's another wave of growth, who knows? It's all crystal ball stuff really. So yeah, I guess for buyers to kind of find themselves in the position where they've got control... I think the best way that a buyer can add a lot of weight to their offer and avoid overpaying is to use leverage. And that might be, I don't do this all the time, but it's good in that situation to play on the seller's fear of loss. Often it's introducing a second property. You might say that you're under offer elsewhere and you know, you've got to make a decision on that fast and it works for you on this property at this price point, but beyond that, it doesn't hold an interest to you. So that's one way, that's one of many tools that I may draw on. Um, but that definitely works when the balance of power shifts from where it is now. You use that line too often at the moment and, and the agents will simply say to you, well, that's all well and good, but um, good luck with the other property. I've got 16 people coming at four o'clock this afternoon. Yeah. And, yeah, I've got no real issues selling it for the price that we expect we're going to get or more. And it's not fluff. It's actually true. It's a bit like yes. you know people talking to me saying, I spoke to this buyer's agent the other day and they said they've closed their books for the next three months. And I'm like, yeah, like that sounds like a sales pitch, but for a lot of people that's actually true. Yeah, and look, to be honest, I've used that leverage trick in the last three months and it's worked a treat on certain properties. So when you know that the property is possibly a dime a dozen or there's, you know, there's other reasons that come into play there, but actually that can still work in a really strong market. You've just got to pick your time. You know, if you're going into a property that's incredibly unique and it's a, an asset that's highly sought after and then you start trying to dictate 
terms like that, you're probably not going to win. So there's other ways that you'd go about it to build a strategy around ensuring that you don't overpay and giving yourself the best shot at winning it. Now, I did want to ask you about auctions, but I mean, that's probably a whole nother show. I'd love to get you back another time. <laughs> but what I'm trying to do here is, you know, I, I'm sort of advocating for the little guy, the, the mum and dad property investors, although that term is maybe outdated now because sometimes there's dad and dad property investors and mum and mum property investors. But, you know, in the, in the next two minutes, how do we download your decades of experience into someone's brain to make them a dangerous person out there in the property investing space, whether they're selling an investing property as they're retiring or, or they're purchasing an investment property? What are some of the key tips? Well, I think we've touched on the selling side of it. So I'll focus on the buy side because I think the sell side is the same strategy in any market. Really, you've got to identify those leading agents and make sure it's a competitive process to get the commission structure down and, and make sure you're on the right horse in terms of the, the agent that's going to deliver the goods for you. On the buy side, I think the number one thing that people overlook is understanding market value. So I would suggest to people that the biggest mistakes that buyers make is that they look for too long a period and they do that because they're lazy, they're not consistent and they don't really commit a set time frame to it. So the second biggest problem is the scattergun. They're looking in too many areas at the same time. Mm. So I would say focus for four to eight weeks on one to two suburbs, attend every open for inspection and every auction you can to understand market value and true buyer depth in real time. If you're doing those things, you're going to build rapport and be top of mind with agents. That's going to create you an opportunity to find things pre and off market and beating your competition or lowering your competition, limiting your competition even, is going to give you an advantage. You're going to see more property, 40% of property or up to 40% sells off market. So you've got to get yourself in a position as a buyer to see more of the opportunities and to limit the amount of competition you've got. So if you can do that, you're in a much better position to then negotiate a solid outcome that's going to be suitable for you as a purchaser. That's great advice. I love that. It's it's unleveling the playing field in, in your favour. Scott, it's, um, my brain is exploding. Thankfully, I'm not buying or selling right now, but if I was, I'd be re-listening to this over and over again. You've shared a lot of <laughs> wisdom and you've got a plane to catch. So thank you very much for your time. I love your work. My pleasure, Mike. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye.